Welcome to episode six of the HPBA podcast. In this episode, Tim and I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Adnan Al Sayedi, who's a professor of clinical surgery and the vice chair of education in the Department of Surgery at UCSF. Dr. Al Sayedi actually uh, was switching jobs when we interviewed him, so uh, he was at Virginia Mason, but now is at UCSF. He received his undergraduate degree from UC Santa Barbara and then went on to medical school at Penn State University. He also has a master's degree in surgical education from the University of Illinois, Chicago. He completed a general surgery residency at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and a uh, HPB and advanced GI fellowship at Washington University, as he talks about a bit during this interview. This is the first of two episodes where we will focus on the future of surgical training within the field of MIS surgery. In our second episode, we talked with Dr. Melissa Hogue. In this episode with Dr. Al Sayedi, we focused mainly on laparoscopic HPB surgery and how residents fit into this picture, how attendings can break complex operations down into simpler steps so even junior residents can get a meaningful experience while scrubbing in on complex cases. We also discussed some initiatives that Dr. Al Sayedi has been involved in with training community surgeons on how to do safe and effective HPB surgery. We really enjoyed this conversation. We hope you do too. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Dr. Adnan Al-Sayedi. Hey everyone, Tim and Tim here with the HPBA podcast, and we're very fortunate to be spending some time here at the HPBA with Dr. Adnan Al-Sayedi from Virginia Mason. So Dr. Al-Sayedi, thanks for being with us today. The first thing, you know, uh, we just kind of hear, want to hear your story, uh, where you trained, how you got to where you are today. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure, and, and thanks for doing this work. It's a lot of fun. Look forward to it being on iTunes and listening to it for sure. Um, so I, I kind of did things a little differently than most people. I, um, I, I did my residency and after residency, I actually was uh, did my residency in Chicago, University of Illinois, Chicago, and Scott Helton actually was the uh, chief of surgery at that time. And and I got offered a position there, but uh, I really wanted to do some something different. Uh, do some traveling. Um, it was also a good a time where right after 9-11 and so on and so it, long story short I decided to join the Navy uh, with the condition that I'm actually overseas and so mm. so I actually went from Chicago to Japan and ended up spending almost six and a half years or so um, really all overseas and that was really what I wanted to do and it was it was an amazing time for me for in terms of personal growth. I had done things a little too quickly before then, so I had some age time, I guess. Or, mm. So I felt like it would be a good time for personal growth, but also to see, to travel the world and uh, get to see a lot of surgeons uh, all over Japan, all over China, mm. all over uh, Philippines, India, uh, and then also obviously deployed with the military. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and then about that time, I decided, you know, it's, uh, I really fell in love with HPB, mostly from operating with a lot of Japanese surgeons, um, uh, in addition to obviously doing the military uh, hospitals. Uh, and so I decided to do an HPB fellowship and um, uh, applied back here to the United States and ended up in Wash U in St. Louis, did, a, did the, the HPB fellowship with uh, Dr. Lenahan, Dr. Strasburg, Dr. Hawkins. And obviously also rotated with the transplant team, uh, Dr. Doyle and Dr. Chapman. Uh, I was lucky after that to be offered a few positions and uh, 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 Scott Helton at that point had moved and now he was in Virginia Mason in Seattle and he recruited me there so I ended up in Seattle and I've been there now almost eight and a half years and, and actually it's kind of an interesting time because uh, my last day in Virginia Mason is next week and mm -hmm. um, then I took a position uh, starting in a couple weeks at uh, University of California, San Francisco, 
as the vice chair of education and obviously doing HPB there. Mm -hmm. So it's kind Great. of a little bit of a long story, but that's how I ended up where I am. Yeah, we've found out so far that uh, there are very few straight routes. It seems like everybody has some oh, really? diversion. There you go. So everybody, I'm glad I'm I think everyone has, started, everyone has started with, well, I took an unconventional route. So <laughs> I don't know that there is a conventional route. Uh, and then kind of how did you, when you got out of the military, how did you transition, you know, in fellowship, you probably weren't doing a lot of MIS. How did you make that transition from mostly open to MIS and now sort of leading so, and teaching that stuff? That's a great, that's a great question. And, and actually, WashU was also um, in the midst of actually trying to develop their MS, MIS program at that point. So obviously, the, the, the concept and the, and the acceptance was there, but the know-how and the ability is something that I had to develop. And I was lucky enough working in, v, in Virginia Mason in the sense that we had leadership that, especially with Scott there, to actually say, you know, this is important enough and to support me that way. And so I ended up uh, doing a lot of training on my own, uh, a lot of simulation training. Uh, there's a, there's a, um, a module, uh, modules that uh, are basically coming out of McGill, um, uh, UT mm -hmm. Southwestern, and uh, VM in Georgetown called Atlas, which uh, will make it to the market soon. But that's a it's, it's basically advanced uh, suturing and advanced laparoscopic skills. Then I actually did, did multiple trips to Europe, um, mm -hmm. uh, four, no, three to the UK, to France um, uh, and in different times uh, to kind of pick up different learning things. I actually visited a lot of uh, MIS leaders here in the United States, including uh, uh, Mayo, Dr. Kenrick, Dr. Asbin, Dr. Uh, Dr. Schulich in, in uh, Colorado. And so basically ended up learning on my own and, and uh, mm -hmm. picking that up. And eventually with a really strong team, we were able to build um, a, a really strong MIS practice now that we, we have a lot visiting people from all over. So. Yeah. Um, well, well, we'll be happy to come visit you in uh, UCSF to pick up some tips yeah. and tricks. Uh, this is, we didn't really discuss talking about this, but just something I think is interesting to comment on is and something that we've been, been impressed upon us from our mentors, our devotees, is, is the importance of travel yeah. and seeing a lot of other experiences. Can you talk just a little bit more about that? Like, wh where did you pick up certain things and, oh, and yeah. why? I, I love that. It's, it's incredibly humbling and, and, uh, and educational to, to travel. And, and people are so welcoming. You go anywhere and they treat you, you know, incredibly well and you learn a lot. And, uh, um, and you, you know, you have to be respectful to their place and time and, and uh, understand that they're busy at their own institution. But you learn a lot. And... And it's amazing, like obviously going to conferences, watching videos is educational, but nothing like mm. at all, like right. traveling. The unedited version. <laughs> the unedited version, who's doing what, uh, who's, well, I don't know if I should say this, but who's, <laughs> who's telling the truth and who isn't. Yeah. And it's like, and, yeah. and who is actually, you know, um, and who is actually training and who isn't. I mean, some of the most amazing surgeons um, are humble enough to actually welcome you to the operating room and, and show you what they're doing. But then you realize that that's an amazing place to be a patient, but probably not an amazing place to be a fellow mm -hmm. or to train. And, mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's fine. It's not, it's not black and white, but you just learn not only what to do and what not to do, but also how to teach and mm -hmm. how to, to you know, find that middle ground. Yeah, I think on that topic, you know, this has come up a couple different ways, but you know, working with residents, and you have uh, one fellow a year at Virginia Mason. One fellow every year now. For so, years, so yeah. how do you how do you see kind of that stepwise progression? We talk with Dr. Hogue a lot about this with the robot, but mm -hmm. uh, with with laparoscopic livery section, mm -hmm. how do you get a third year to the point where when they're a fellow, they can learn how to do it on their yeah. own? Well, how does that sort of progress in your eyes? 
Yeah, I, I think the, the best way to look at that is to basically uh, think of every procedure as, as different modules. I mean, mm -hmm. a classic situation is looking at, for example, distal pancreatectomy. Um, you can divide that up to about 27, 28 modules, depending mm -hmm. on how you want to think about it, and especially throwing in things like spleen preserving or things like adenocarcinoma, mm -hmm. or, and all of a sudden you've got 28 modules. And yeah. each module in itself is actually in itself a, a teachable learning uh, 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 entity that, uh, that that individual, whether they're an intern or a third year or a fifth year or a fellow, or even an attending who's trying to learn something different, they can actually own and actually say that that's what they mastered that day. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I would tell you that most of my fellows, up until almost the end of the year, never scrub an entire case with me. Mm -hmm. um, most of them scrub out and in maybe an average of three to four times. Hmm. And the wow. reason right, is, is because we look at the case and we say, you know what, this case is uh, distal pancreatectomy, for example, a, a neck tumor very close to the celiac access. I'm worried about the margin. It's important for that patient that I do that, that part. But that's not a, a, a lost case for the fellow or mm -hmm. even for my intern. The intern may, may actually have the module of trocar placement and entering the lesser sac or taking down the short gastrics or taking down the splenic flexure. That is a very important thing for them to yeah. learn how to do safely yeah. that's going to apply to uh, splenectomies, nissens, gastrectomies, and, and nephrectomies, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. colectomies, uh, or even... Uh, or even adrenalectomies or, you know, so they learn that and they learn how to take down the splenic flexure in a way that actually makes them competent in that and proficient, I should say, in that. And so that's how I think about it. And so many of my third years or second years or first years who rotate with me, I, I specifically tell them, you need to come to the OR and we've divided these cases and they know which module they're going to basically be theirs. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have to be just one. But like if my fellow goes in there and does the, va the vessel uh, isolations, then um, she may scrub out and take some notes, learn, uh, download her video and things like that, and then scrub back in for, some, for the another, another mm -hmm. part of it. Mm -hmm. I'll say one more thing is that we, we have to design our surgeries with education in mind. So I'll, I'll give you two examples real quick. The first thing is, you know, I, I, we know now, <clears throat> I think, that it's very safe, for example, uh, sticking to the distal pancreatectomy example, to staple the, the, the splenic vein with the, with, the, with, the, with the specimen. I've never done it, but I've seen people who I respect and who I think are actually very good surgeons do it with good series, so I think it's probably safe. I certainly wouldn't do the vein and the artery together, but nevertheless. My point being is I would never do it, not because I think it's wrong, because I think it's a lost opportunity mm -hmm. for training people how to dissect vessels safely. Yeah. It's probably the easiest vessel to dissect, and if you're doing that, then where are people gonna learn? On the hard ones, on the portal vein? Yeah. Same thing with, with, uh, with robotics. You'll see people who have basically a lab setup and a robotic setup at the same time with like energy devices mm -hmm. where the assistant is doing the surgery. It's like, well, have you really trained the person to do robotics? Mm -hmm. so, so I think designing how you do the surgery should actually be designed in a way that it's safe, but also that it's actually going to work for training. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. That's a fantastic concept. It seems like you um, are breaking down a very traditional barrier of one trainee, one case, start yeah. to finish, mm -hmm. and, and you're instead of um, kind of distributing people portions of learning opportunities yeah. that are at their levels. Yeah. Um, now, when you, in your new job, you know, obviously your new job will be focused on education, are you formalizing this process? Yeah. You know, so every 
case gets broken down into steps. Absolutely. And, I mean, yeah. I, I, there's going to be a lot of faculty v- development to work on that, but also the idea of actually uh, uh, creating systems that actually enhance and make entrustment easier, not harder, right? Yeah. So if I'm rotating with you and you're working with me on Monday and then you're rotating with three other physicians and I see you like 10 days later and then I don't see you for two years, how am I going to know who you are and yeah. how you are and trust you to? And so, you know, w- we have this thing where Everybody's got to see the whole case as if that results in learning like you were saying Tim. Yeah. It doesn't. We know it doesn't. Yeah. If you were scrubbed on a 5-hour, 6-hour whatever Whipple, right? There is absolutely no way that at the level of the fellow that if I teach you or show you something in hour 1 that you will remember that in hour 6. And and yeah. well, you may remember it, but the fa- the fact that you actually remember it to actually impl- uh, deploy it when it's needed a month later, two months later, it doesn't happen. We know it doesn't yeah. happen. Now you remember like big picture, but that's not what I'm teaching you. You're not an intern, you're a fellow. Yeah. You know, you, so at a fellow, things like retraction and traction and actually how to actually minimize blood loss while you're suturing and things, things that are really, really high intensity things, those cannot be recalled uh, simply because you were there the whole time. Yeah, so. I, I mean, I found watching my own videos that's exactly extremely that. helpful for exactly Absolutely. that. Because you forgot about the first hour oh of the case, God. but you go back later and you watch it again and you're like, you know, and I, I think the <laughs> yeah, I watching that. yourself I, watching yeah. yourself operate, you realize where yeah. you're inefficient. You know, you're literally you can watch on the bottom of the screen that you wasted ten seconds, you know, yeah. here or there, and you're like, you know. So I, I found exactly what you said. When you do a whipple at the end, especially early in fellowship, you're kind of overwhelmed. Yeah. And going back and watching the early yeah. steps later, I think really yeah. helped. So. I was I was doing a robotic whipple. Uh, and um, after the specimen is off, you look at the you look at the SMA and look at it and I'm looking at it, it looks a little odd and I'm washing it off and I'm like and like literally there is like a thermal burn on the SMA mm-hmm. and I'm obviously I'm just conflicted what's going on when did that happen and um, what do I do now and anyway I was just too uncomfortable just suturing it and I didn't know how extensive it is and so I ended up basically converting just for that and it was indeed there and repaired it and moved on and then I actually that night <clears throat> downloaded the video and and it's amazing like it was so obvious where mm-hmm. i did the mistake it was so obvious and it, it's just you would never know without reviewing those things yeah. you know so yeah. so i found this interesting looking at some of your papers how about not just you watching your videos mm-hmm. but an entire crowd of people mm-hmm. watching your videos yeah. That's, what uh, is that? And is that the future? Can you talk about this crowdsourcing idea in terms yeah. of evaluation? So, it is so intriguing. Yeah, so, so there, are, there are two things. Um, so right now I'm taking this um, uh, intensive course through Oxford on, uh, on deep learning and, and uh, computer animation and visual recognition and, and uh, uh, artificial intelligence. And uh, the idea that crowdsourcing is kind of like the... Um, it's almost like step one of auto, of automating crowdsourcing, where we actually have computers watch us as right. opposed to yeah. human beings. Mm-hmm. But both are both are fine. Um, the question is, can we do it for judgment? And the idea here is that you know you can actually take your video, an un- unedited video, and load it up to the crowd, and either have a human being or actually have automation. Mm-hmm. We basically look at it and actually give you feedback. Now the question is, how much feedback are they? Are, is it giving you? And it can be as simple as your traction, your handling, your you know your collision, your your timing, your suturing skills, 
uh, or it can be as experienced as, as amazing as, as like the the amount of psi tension you're putting on vessels wow. and where we know things vessels rupture especially mm. if you're intrahepatic yeah. um, mm. the fact that it actually that you were fi looking for vessels like near misses uh, I mean it's amazing the near misses the rates that we have on our videos if you were to look at a video from an eye spec of saying listen I want you and you, sh you talk to a crowd and you train a crowd and you can actually do this very nicely and say, I do not want you to look at what they're doing. I want you to reprogram your eyes to basically look at how many times they almost did something wrong and actually have classifications for that. Mm. It's a, unbelievable. It's yeah. actually so humbling that if you actually train your yeah. own eyes to say, how many times did I actually almost mess, do something wrong? It's almost every third, fourth minute that we oh almost do. It's like a horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> he's right behind the door. Don't yeah. open it. Yeah, but but we always but we always think like it's as long as the mistake didn't happen, it's okay. But that's not true. Yeah. Right. That's not yeah. true. And if you think of of AI from the concept of can we train a computer that as you're going on tell you yeah. when you're about to do something wrong, and the answer is that it's not. That's not future. That's like already now. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. we have you know, Teslas and cars that actually do that. And, and, and you can actually do that. And actually, we have one abstract that we've submitted where, where in a lab Coley, where you actually have automation, where it basically tells you go and no-go zones and things like that. And wow. So, wow. Yeah, can you, so you, can you talk a little bit about the crowdsourcing project with, and we'll talk a little bit about, about safe cholecystectomy oh, yeah, as sure. well, but how you guys did that project and what you're finding so far. Yeah, so, so the crowdsourcing project, um, uh, projects in general, and we've done a, f a few now, it basically says that we basically take the crowd and you educate the crowd. Now you can educate them on basically saying, look, you're, you're just doing like uh, assessment of technical skills, which is easy. That's been done so many times. And, and they give feedback on technical skills, whether it's goals or whether it's uh, uh, open or whether it's robotics, doesn't matter. The other and more really uh, cool thing is to basically say, I'm going to actually teach the crowd something about judgment, whether it's, you know, are they actually dissecting uh, too close to the, the protohepatis or below the safety line, or are they achieving the critical view of safety? And you actually tell them, okay, so let's, uh, uh, this is how I want you to judge these videos. And you actually can take the crowd and say, you can't actually, uh, statistically, uh, you can't um, uh, assess these videos unless you have a higher star rating, you've done uh, uh, assessments before, and you watch this educational video to teach you what the critical view of safety, mm -hmm. blah, 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 is, and then you take a test and you score above 90%. Mm -hmm. Or you can even say 95%, yeah. and you still get thousands thousands of, of crowd workers that who, are, who are they who are these people that are signing up for all this over stuff? the world like That's basically high school students like yeah, college students yeah. people interested in engineering it doesn't matter they're just human beings that you're training and you're assessing you're saying okay you're good to go and then you statistically can actually eliminate the outliers yeah and even with all those like high rating I'm giving you watch this I'm giving you a test if you don't test you you, you can't take mm -hmm. this task and eliminating outliers, we still we load three four hundred videos on the on the crowd, and within like usually twenty four hours, we get something between thousand five hundred and five thousand ratings. Wow. We literally have to stop it because that's like unbelievable. We don't want to actually wow. pay too much money. And if P, if a community surgeon <laughs> wants true. to get their videos judged, is there a way for that to be done? So right that's now? actually what Sages is doing now. Yeah. Uh, and so I think with very soon, you're going to see this kind of. Uh, uh, feedback coming out in multiple different pathways, including not just HPB and biliary, but 
for God and bariatric and and it's nothing you know uh, you know it's it's more about a formative feedback for actually improvement uh, mm -hmm. and it can be really refined not just technical skills um, there's one more thing I was gonna say about uh, uh, the, the cool thing is about the whole thing of training the crown to do judgment which is really yeah. we always thought that's not necessarily possible but I think it, it's been shown over and over again that it's really informative and it's really directly linked to quality now you can actually see how the patients do based on, how you, uh, but on, on your feedback. So. Wow. Now, one thing about that uh, safe, safe quality now that I remember that you said, so one, one thing we did is after the training the, the, the crowd is we basically said, we're gonna take the top 160, and we chose 160 because mm -hmm. that was uh, of lab coolies on the web, on public domain, and 160 just was the natural cutoff. After that, they were just you know 100 or 200 likes or comments, and mm -hmm. uh, above 160 was like literally thousands up to millions of likes and, 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 and you know, comments. And we took those 160 and we just basically edited uh, the, the beginning and the end so that we're like really focusing on the dissection mm -hmm. of the of the critical view of safety and the dissection of the taking the taking the cystic duct basically that's yeah. a system we did and we put it on the crowd and we had them assess with respect to judgment with respect to the critical view of, uh, critical view of safety and and basically it was two that were actually deemed safe and appropriate everything else was considered dangerous or poor quality and we actually did that same study with experts and it was the 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 in, uh, inter-rater reliability between the crowd and the experts was amazing so yeah so we know that there's a problem with uh, public domain issues yeah that so my uh my grand rounds and fellowship was on the use of technology in surgical education and i quoted that paper yeah. basically saying you know i learned how to use the robot before fellowship basically by watching youtube videos yeah. and you know yeah. some of them are great and some of them are terrible and yeah. you don't you know especially early on you might not know which ones are which so i mean I, i'd like to hear your opinion on how do we fix that problem is this something that you know, it's got to be the organizations take over and, right. and they need to be sponsoring, you know, the right kind of videos and putting libraries right. up and things like that. Or where do you think the, we should it's be going? A, it's a good question. And I, and I just kind of take a step back and, and say, like, if I was my, if my job was to train Tim to do something, my first job is to basically say, where is he in this pedigree? Like all adults have baggage, right? And they come in at different times. Or two left hands. My that's right. <laughs> yeah. And so I've heard that now. That's good. And so, yeah. and so, so the whole point is, is, is I need to know him, but then what I need to do is basically have a spectrum in my mind of where he fits, and that's how I'm actually going to train him. Adults lose interest if I'm training him at level one when he's at level four. They mm. they just can't handle that. And so the the levels of training come from as simple as conceptualization, which is like, hey, do you even know what a chest tube is for? Uh, to visualization and verbalization, where you actually have, have a concept of what's going on, but you don't know where, 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 how to do it. Uh, to actually like practice and, and the autonomy and mastery and so on. And so if I was to look at that and say, what are the roles, to answer your question, what is the role of society, of societies? The role of societies is to make the, the, the conceptualization and visualization part easy. In other words, for me to say that, that the only time you're gonna go up that step lateral is for, for, is for you to see one in the operating room. Hmm. We've basically taken that valued, valuable time in the operating room and basically said, we're gonna waste it mm. basically by you having to watch. And with the explosion of procedures, that's just not, yeah. it just can't yeah. happen. Yeah. And so conceptualization and visualization has to happen outside the yeah. operating room. 
And so now you can do it easily with really nice guided multimedia things. But honestly, I feel like societies have failed in that Mm -hmm. because even when they have awesome videos, guess what? They're behind firewalls. They're like cost like crazy. And so then if you're a resident, where you get, where there's no way, even residents have to pay money to watch good videos, which is insane. So then they go to Vimeo and YouTube and watch, you know, Joe Blow, like do some amazing thing. So, so it's, it's certainly a failure, I think, as a, as a surgical society, mm-hmm. not AHBBA, surgical society, you know, yeah. big picture, yeah. the um, in the sense that we have the content and yet we don't even like release it to learners, uh, let alone, you know, to practicing people. But yeah, and I think, I think the challenge as well is that, you know, you sort of made it very personal that if you know where Tim is on his learning curve, you can intervene right. in a specific way. Right. But what about the, the community at large, right? What about the community surgeon who didn't get a chance to go to a fellowship, um, you know, and is, is doing <clears throat> cases? And, and I think the safe cholecystectomy thing is a, a great example right. of that, right? I mean, that's not meant for people in HPV fellowship. Right. It's meant to improve the outcomes of a lot of patients right. because a lot of surgeries are being done by people who didn't have that yeah. one-on-one training. And so can we use technology Absolutely. to get that training out to people that don't have the opportunity? Yeah. And I think that's a wonderful segue, Tim. And, and this is why I'm super excited about AI and deep learning yeah. because I, I think the idea that, that uh, you know, we could have done this five years ago and basically saying, okay, listen, if you're a community surgeon, you can actually record your video, load it up here, you get this amazing feedback mm-hmm. for free, um, non-disclosable, um, you know, all that, you know, whatever that legal terminology is, all that. Uh, however, we haven't done that. And so, and the reason we haven't done that is because there's an issues of cost and issues of motivation and issues of recording, and it's not easy. Imagine, imagine in five years, three years, where every new um, uh, um, uh, tower you buy in the hospital has AI embedded, mm. where it actually is giving you feedback as you're operating. If you're doing a lab coli and, and you're getting these, it's not going to force you to do anything, but you're getting feedback to basically say, you know, you're, you're a three out of six in your critical view of safety. You're, so, you know, and there's a red, a red you know, thing around <laughs> your a screen and everybody's watching that red to turn green. You're not going to be cutting anything or at least you're going to think twice, yeah. you know. And I think that kind of a feedback is where we're going to go. Um, I know, I know some easy. surgeons that would probably hate that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. may be the this challenge. Is, this too, is but. exactly why sometimes dictatorship is better than democracy. <laughs> so. Benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I think I think there's no question. We need to make it easier for the uh, the um, uh, practicing surgeon, whether mm. they're academic or community or whatever, to actually get feedback. No question. Yeah. And, and everybody's struggling with this, even, even cognitive feedback, like the MOC, uh, MOC that the board is doing is a great first start, but you know, it, it, we need help with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, people become, you know, if you're, a practice, if you're practicing alone and you're not getting feedback, even if you're not practicing alone, how many times do you get your partner to come in and give you feedback in the operating room? Yeah. It's just not in our culture. Yeah. So what do you think? So what's what's next? What what do you see in the next ten years with regards to that? I mean, you know, it, it's it's interesting because I think I think it was Nelson Nelson Mandela that said that you know every generation thinks they're special and unique, but but I really do think we're special and unique right now, right? So I I think this is like the t- best time to be a surgeon, but because it is so awesome how we have 
situation where we have actually, first of all, we're becoming more humane as surgeons in terms of training and in terms of how we treat each other and how we work with teams. And that's awesome. I mean, you know, we, we have not been always great. And certainly we still got a way to go with respect to wellness and so on. But in that field alone, I think there's just, it's just an amazing time. But then the idea of actually us always improving, you know, uh, and getting feedback, uh, I think is, we, we're at the verge of an explosion of that. And, and, and I think it's a perfect time because most people with egos and most people who are like, you know, I, I don't want nobody telling me what, what can I do and uh, do, are kind of either retiring or going into the shadows somehow. And most people are humble enough to say, you know, I don't care what your age is or whether you're a resident, a fellow or something, I would love your input. I think that, that kind of mentality is there now, which mm -hmm. is great. And so now we have such societies like Sages where they're basically putting up systems where there's actually index cases. And Tim, you're involved in one of the major index cases, uh, uh, building up the, the whole pathway for liver with Sages. Um, uh, and that's going to be wonderful because those, those procedures, index procedures, are going to be linked to how do you train yourself and that how do you assess yourself. Uh, and those are all going to be video-based. You know, load up your video, you get these assessments, and that's going to be wonderful. I mean, I would love that kind of feedback. Mm -hmm. um, I'm lucky because I have fellows, so I load my videos and we watch them together and they criticize me, I criticize <laughs> them. But not everybody has that, right, you know, right, but I, right. I've never operated on a video where I don't get feedback from either from my fellow or somebody. So, huh. and, and I think, and then eventually, obviously the AI, I think is going to be great. There's yeah. even now a, a nice uh, uh, ultrasound um, uh, company out of uh, Denmark that basically has these, this amazing ultrasound where basically it's loaded with AI. Unfortunately, it's got a subscription, annual subscription, which I always think is a gimmick, but anyway, where you basically are doing an ultrasound and it actually recognizes uh, uh, structures for you and gives you feedback on them in terms of oh, yeah. what they and so my point is it's only going to get better yeah so. yeah what about in terms of just really quick what about um, credentialing and jobs are you going to have to like crowdsource our our, uh, our operations to say whether you want to hire this person as a partner in the future these things are like public domain yeah no I, I don't think that's going to be the case I think I think uh, I can't see how that's going to happen yet, just okay, yet. Good, but I do. <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> I, I do. I do think that there is going to be much more transparent link to quality, mm -hmm. um, and so um, I mean, let's face it. Like, I mean, this is a really this is like another hour discussion, Tim, because it's like it's an amazing thing. But I'm I'm not a person that likes to think that uh, we are doing a wonderful job and just like let it go. Like the truth is, if you're not a good surgeon right now. And you're, let's say, forget about not good. If you're a bad surgeon right now and you leave a place, it is incredibly hard, if not impossible, for the other place that you're applying to to know that. Right. Like literally impossible. Unless there's like some report to the board, which is really uncommon. Yeah. And so is that where we want to live? Is that, are, are we managing our own house? Well? I, don't, I don't know if you listen to the Dr. Death podcast, but oh, it's God. basically about that. Yeah. It's a series of stories where this surgeon had a number of terrible outcomes yeah. and got decredentialed de by a bunch of institutions in the same city yeah. and they didn't yeah. know basically. Well, well I mean, that's the, that's a problem and, and it happens more than we think and not as extreme as that, but it yeah, happens. Right. And so, so the question then is, how about if we actually have an unbiased report card of, hey, this is Adnan Alsadi's quality metrics, you know, uh, compared to the, the nation, the HPB. I mean, 
there's no shame in it because if I had that and I was an HPV surgeon and I could see that my quality is poor, I may choose to do less risky surgeries. I may choose to do, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we, we self any mature, uh, thoughtful, ethical human being will not continue doing something if they're not doing it well enough or at least, certainly if there's harm in it. Mm -hmm. But I think we, should, we need to make that black and white. It's interesting. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, so I think uh, one of the other things that has sort of come up here is you're obviously heavily, heavily involved in SAGES. I thought you might want to talk to the HPBA audience about SAGES, about the SAGES audience, about HPBA, and kind of the collaboration between the two. And, yeah. you know, hopefully this audience will reach out to some SAGES members that aren't already uh, coming to the HPBA meeting, and maybe you can convince a couple to, yeah. to come. No, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful segue. And... Uh, you know, uh, thanks. Uh, I'll just point out um, one person who I think is instrumental in this, and that's mm -hmm. Hiroshio Asbin. Mm -hmm. uh, Hiroshio is, is now the vice president, or sorry, the president-elect for SAGES, becoming the president next year. And he's obviously been a, a, a star HPB surgeon for many, many decades. And, uh, and, and he's very involved in the HPBA. And so he has actually made it very, an important thing that HPB and SAGES is a joint effort with the AHPBA. So, we um, started in Houston three years ago uh, with a master's program. The AHPBA was and, uh, and ILS was part of it. And then since then, we have now uh, at least four, four or five joint projects. Uh, one of them is guidelines project. Two, actually, two of them is guidelines. One is in pancreas, uh, sorry, one is in uh, MIS liver, and one of them is in um, ablation. Both of those have a joint task force that are shared members from AHPBA and, and SAGES. And we, we still need a lot of help with that. So anybody that wants it, is interested, they should let us know. The other thing is the master's programs, which are basically the programs that include index procedures in, in, in liver, which you're, you're an author on, Tim, and also index procedures in pancreas. This includes assessment and teaching modalities so that you can actually get feedback and so on. Both of those are shared with AHPBA. The other uh, projects uh, uh, through SAGES and AHPBA are uh, the registries. Mm -hmm. So now we have North American liver, uh, lap liver registry. We have uh, 17 centers interested. And Tim, you're part of that as well. And that's, and that's gonna be an incredible resource. Uh, and it's a prospective registry. Uh, and then we also have uh, the uh, AMIPS, which is the American Minimally Invasive Pancreas Registry. Mm -hmm. This is actually linked to the uh, EMIPS, which is the e European, mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully next year, the AP MIPS, which is gonna be the Asian one. And so in three, four years, we, we really expect to have really the, the ability to do in intercontinental uh, MIS pancreas re uh, uh, research to be very straightforward. And so tons of shared things. Yeah. Next year is uh, SAGES in Vegas, which will be uh, um, uh, Hiroshio's program, and that's gonna be very HPB heavy. Um, <clears throat> so this is really not about you know, who's, doing, uh, who's controlling what, it's about right. collaboration for sure. So. Yeah, I think those are all you know, exceptional efforts, and I think those are the kind of things that will get out to the community, right? Now you'll have these experts that have put things down on paper that any community surgeon can learn from, right. and I think that's really uh, an exceptional effort. Um, and then kind of the last thing I wanted to get your perspective on, um, because you're heavily involved in surgical education and you're involved in the fellowship council, um, you know, we sort of talked about uh, SSO versus an HPBE fellowship. 
kind of what your thoughts are on for, you know, some residents that may be listening. What are the advantages of each one? Yeah. Uh, who should apply for each? And, and what are your thoughts? There? I know oh, it's controversial. You don't have to get yourself in trouble. <laughs> so, uh, well, the, the problem is I, I, I don't know how to, I'm not a very, I'm not a good diplomat at all. In fact, um, uh, in the military, uh, I remember a rare admiral telling me, you know, you're a Gantam's good surgeon, but you're a horrible officer. I, <laughs> because I, I, I may or may not have heard that. I know. <laughs> so it's like, I'm like, yes, sir. Because it's because I, I don't nobody, know. Nobody ever told me I was a good surgeon, but a lot of people have told me I'm a bad officer. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I'll tell you my honest truth. I, I personally, I'm very, very passionate about both tracks. I would say this. I would say that that we right now. Uh, there, there is no more controversy in my mind. The, the SSO programs the, uh, that have basically said HPB is part of our mission and training HPB is something important to us have actually dual accredited with us. And every, with us means the AHPBA. And I think there is no question when we meet together that, that the standards and the bar for uh, liver, pancreas, biliary, for MIS, for ultrasound, and the AHPBA fellowships, i.e. Fellowship Council fellowships, mm -hmm. is much higher. Um, and places like uh, Hopkins, Louisville, uh, MD Anderson, and uh, Memorial, uh, and UPMC, who basically felt like, hey, this, is, this makes sense, and this is important to us, um, have basically dual credited. So I think, I think there's a lot of really good, amazing SSO programs out there. Um, it, all I'm going to say is that, that if they're not dual accredited, they, it's either, it's not something in their mission. And I, mm -hmm. I, I, if, if I was one of those programs and that's something that I feel passionate about, then why am I not, uh, and it's not, and there's no, it's not a cost issue. I mean, this is, a Fellowship Council is run by surgeons. Mm -hmm. It's not restrictive. We don't make any uh, crazy, as Fellowship Council doesn't make any crazy, like, uh, uh, restrictions just to make your life harder and actually it's actually if you're already ACGME uh, restricted you're like way more restricted yeah. than Belgian yeah. Council so so that's what I say so if I was a, an applicant and I really really think uh, HPB is what I want to do um, I would either go to the dual accredited SSO programs mm -hmm. or the dual accredited ASTS programs or to the AHPB fellowship I think all of those meet a bar that I'm incredibly proud of yeah. um, you know, the, the, the bar is not met by the other ASTS programs that are not dual accredited and the SSO programs that are not dual accredited. Yeah. It's just not met. You can always do the remedial three-year three program yeah. like Dr. Newhook as well. That's, yeah, yeah, and we're waiting on whether I'm going to be able to finish this in three years. I have to do it another year for a fourth. It's not we'll over see. yet. Yeah, please, someone yet. put in a good word with Dr. Vote and yeah. Dr. Zahm. <laughs> So, uh, you know, this has been great. We really appreciate your time. Uh, we Thanks wanted to give you the mic for anything else you wanted to plug. And, you know, if you could kind of give us an opinion on what you think the future of uh, HPB training is. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, as I said earlier on, I am super excited about, um, uh, about HPB. I feel like uh, I am a person that actually am very lucky in the sense that uh, I do only things that I feel passionate about. And uh, I don't have any, um, I would not pursue anything that I feel like I, it's not something that I can, that I actually feel like I am excited about it, including still being a surgeon. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, I have a lot of options. I, I love cooking. I could be a chef any day. I have a couple of restaurants. And so my point is, it's, it's an amazing time to be a surgeon. And that's why I'm, I love what I'm doing. 
And I would say that the horizon is incredibly bright for many reasons, including the fact that training has become much more, um, for lack of a better word, peaceful. People mm -hmm. are actually, uh, actually fellowships are actually enjoyable. And when we actually accredit fellowship, we look at that. And we really cite programs that are not a conducive to a good learning environment. So I think it's a good time to be a learner. Also, there's so much data out there and really good level one data for minimally invasive uh, resections, whether it's in benign or in cancer now. Uh, and certainly a lot more studies are actually being done right now in pancreas, but certainly studies have been published in liver. And so that's, that's exciting because it, it's, you're, not, you're not doing the same old, same old, same old. It's actually a really good field. Uh, even transplant now is getting into MIS, which is amazing, mm -hmm. you know, and so, so I think there's a lot of really good things. I think the, with respect to the, the education, there's a lot of discussion on a focused practice pathways mm -hmm. through the American Board of Surgery. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, the ASDS, as, uh, SSO, and, uh, and the AHPBA have to agree on one pathway because we obviously share a lot. And I think we're, we're, we're hopefully going to get there, um, but I don't see that in the next two, three years. Sure. Um, uh, in the meantime, um, the SSO programs that feel like it's important to them have basically followed that standard in the AHPBA and the Fellowship Council. It's not even the AHPBA, it's really the Fellowship Council, which is completely independent, and we're basically following that standard, if you will. Mm. And the same thing with ASDS. So, it's great. Very exciting. Well, thank you very much for your time. Um, we learned a lot and really excited to see what continues to happen. I'm looking forward to submitting some of my own videos for some crowdsourcing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to have you back on soon. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for doing this. This is Good luck awesome. with your new position. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Oh, the other thing, I know you're very active on Twitter, so I wanted you to give out yeah. your Twitter handle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, my Twitter handle is... is, uh, is <laughs> If I was to do it again, I would choose another one. But right, now, <laughs> right now, it's it's HPV underscore surgeon. Yeah, I yeah. chose that when Twitter, Twitter, Twitter first started, and I thought I'd just yeah, catch that. You were, you were the first yeah, to grab yeah, that. So. That's good. But so. yeah, absolutely. We're very active. So uh, please uh, um, follow and tweet, and it uh, would um, be awesome. Yeah, so. I'll put a plug in for the HPBA Twitter handle as well. Uh, yeah. Follow HPBA, and you can follow our podcast handle as well. Awesome. All right. What's the podcast well, handle? Uh, the podcast handle is the AHBBA podcast. Perfect. At the AHBBA. Awesome. Thank, Thank you right. so Thank much. You. Appreciate Thanks, your time. Guys.